You're listening to Grown Up and Grounded. I'm Trish, the mom of this mother-daughter duo. And I'm Kate, the daughter of the mother-daughter duo. Today, we have a couple things we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about mur- murder among the Mormons. That was like, dun, dun, dun. A, <laughs> I know that was like an alliteration I couldn't get out of my mouth. And <laughs> I think we're just going to also talk about Disney World, a little thing with Disney World. What's that you mentioned? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's going to date the episode a little bit because, you know, Twitter goes so fast. It's like one day is one thing. Correct. and That's pretty much it. Well, but, so as of today, uh, yeah. everyone hates one person on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, maybe not everybody. I'm sure some people agree with him, but it's pretty hilarious to me that uh, some dude, some some writer, I guess, he wrote an op-ed for the Orlando Sun or something. And basically, uh, it said that I can't enjoy Disney World anymore because it's too woke. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that statement. Uh, <laughs> mostly, does he know what the definition of woke actually is? Uh, I feel like is the biggest question. But I just think it's hilarious. So there was a BuzzFeed article. We'll have to share it on our platforms or whatever to show the link because the BuzzFeed article definitely compiled like the best tweet tweeted responses and stuff. But parts of his article were saying like, I can't even enjoy Pirates of the Caribbean anymore because they don't that, you know, they change that scene where you're like auctioning off the, the women to be brides and they all look miserable because they're like about to be raped basically. Sorry. <laughs> Content warning there, I guess. They're Maybe about to be sold out. into a marriage they didn't they're, want. How about that? Yeah, they're about to be sold to a person that they didn't want, you know, that was not their choice, sold to a pirate. And, uh, you know, they changed that so that it's a little bit less just shitty. I mean, that was just sort of shitty, whether it was realistic historically or not. Like, we don't need that in a theme park ride. Uh, so they changed that. And he said that, that that makes him think about the politics of why they changed it. And he... He doesn't like that the cast members now they're, you know, they're changing the dress code so they can show their tattoos and have different colored hair and stuff. Like it's ridiculous. Like that's ridiculous that that's your definition of woke. Oh, and that they changed Splash Mountain so that it's going to have Tiana instead of, and Princess and the Frog instead of Song of the South or whatever that movie was that nobody even knows what that movie is. (laughs) Literally no one. I mean, I think my mom does and I had heard of it, but yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. Anyone under 54. Yeah. That. that seems like a safe number. You could probably even go a little higher. <laughs> I mean, I'm 54, so I chose my number. But you haven't seen it. I mean, I know that it's based on Song of the South, but I, I don't know anything it. about it. I, I may have seen it at one point. But... Regardless, it's Regardless. so silly that someone feels like they can't enjoy Disney World and they want to no longer go to Disney World because it's quote unquote too woke. Like that's not. If they were hanging Black Lives Matter flags from the castle, I mean, that would be one thing. But, like, they're just changing rides. That's it. That's all they're doing. Yeah, and I don't even think they're, like, funneling money into causes. You know, like, it's not like other big corporations that are, like, feeding the agenda of whatever they believe in. They're not even doing that. Yeah. It's so silly. (laughs) But people, people had some pretty good responses, I have to say. Oh yeah, I I tagged you in that article because I read the responses. I didn't read his article, but I thought that there were some pretty good ones, especially the one about imagining not being able to ride uh, Pirates of the Caribbean because your dad says it's too woke. Yeah, I mean, just ridiculous. And of course, he signed it off with like, you know, he's gonna he's not gonna be returning to Disney World or something. And the people responding with like, good, like I don't less people for me to wait behind, like stay out of here. But then all the comments on the Facebook article itself, like all the Facebook comments were like, why does Disney world have such a large maximum capacity? I go there and it's hot and I just have to wait in lines. I just get so irritated with people who complain about waiting in lines at Disneyland, like so irritated. The fast passes are free. You guys, they're literally free. Name any other theme park that has free fast passes. You can't because they, they make you pay for them. (laughs) That's true. I, well, my take on the whole thing is that one, people are always going to complain about Disneyland because various reasons, but you can't please everyone. And that's just the nature of having a business. But two, I think there's like a real thing where people get popular by 
bashing, like we're giving this guy attention right now, right? Like they're getting popular by bashing Disney because it's a somehow Disneyland and Starbucks. And like, there's a couple other businesses that just fall into that category where people just love to bash it and like get, get attention or it always gets popular. People really think it's, yeah, they think it's a personality trait to like dislike popular things. And that's not a replacement for a personality. (laughs) Yeah. When I just always, it's, it's even the same with Starbucks. Like, like I'm not going here. I'm only going here because, and I'm like, that's awesome. The drive through is not going to be crowded. Like don't go to Disneyland. It's great. I am super fine without you there because yeah, one less person to annoy me and stand in front of me in line. I like it. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. It's just like when people complain about California, I'm like, awesome. Move out. Cause we're too crowded. So go. You know, I was just talking to my roommate about that because my roommate is Australian and uh, she thinks that it's so great that in California, like we can, we can go to the beach today. We could drive like a day's drive to go to the snow and we could drive a day's drive down to Southern California to the beaches there where it's always hot. Like, you know, just, we have everything. We literally have everything. Mountains. Yeah. What what more could you ask for? We've got national parks that are beautiful, big old redwood trees. I mean, I mean, I'm not doing anything to go enjoy any of it, but <laughs> I live here. Well, that's nice. I know. I think that's part of the reason why you have so many people that don't like liberalism, liberal ideals, but yet they are here because of those particular things. Mm-hmm. That's and true. to those people, I say Denver's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Denver's pretty liberal too, but I don't know. It's just. I mean, funny. I think it it it's definitely true that the larger the city, the more like like large cities is where you're going to see the liberal mindset. And California just has a lot of large cities. Like I'm just like statistically, it it makes sense that we're liberal because. We have a we have a lot of large cities, and that's just where people with a more liberal mindset tend to gather. And I think it's because, you know, you're when you live in a large city like that. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but you know, you, you're constantly having your worldview. You're you're constantly needing to inter- interrogate your reality because someone who's so different from you is sitting right next to you on the train or whatever. When you stay in sure. smaller cities, you know, you've got you have that people, bubble of. Yeah. The people you exactly. grew up with or people that have been there all, all yeah. their whole life. <clears throat> I mean, I know there's a lot of other sociological and economic blah, blah, blah reasons that larger cities tend to be more progressive. But uh, that's, I feel like, the easiest one that can be verbalized. I wish I just could live in my own little made up world about Disneyland being Disney world being too woke for me or whatever. Oh my gosh. I know. Okay. We have to talk about something though, that I know is not the topic that we're discussing, but, um, we'll, we'll get there. Um, so my roommate, uh, little miss Alana, who's fantastic. She has got me onto the show Mm -hmm. that, um, is completely just trash TV. Like, the worst trash TV I've ever watched. And I can't stop because it's like, she said, it's like, we're watching like an experiment and it's called love Island, Australia. There's many (laughs) love islands, but the one we're watching is love Island, Australia. Mm -hmm. And there's literally a conversation between one of these guys is looked at as like, he's the smart one of, of the, of the group, this group of guys in this Mm -hmm. Island Villa and um he so he gets he he's one of the guys is just so he's so dumb his name's Grant and he's just so like he is a bag of bricks like I mean just there's nothing there and so bad for this poor he, guy that we're talking I mean are, is it not I'll, edited to make him look not that smart or is he really just not that smart no he's really just he's really not smart like just like it's bad and so at one point this dude who's the smart one, Josh, was educating a group of these guys on how wolves were domesticated to make dogs, because I guess none of them had ever known that. Like, okay, like, I I mean, that's a pretty silly thing to not know that, like, dogs come from wolves. But, okay, whatever. 
And then in the next episode, because Grant has now learned that Josh is so smart and just knows things, he, Josh had to explain to Grant how gravity worked, how, um, like how the solar system worked, how we're, we revolve around the sun and like the moon revolves around us and how rocks like in space like how they travel around space. like it was it was painful to watch like really like actually painful and grant's response is like oh man you're so sm-, you know in an australian accent that i'm not going to try and mimic but just like oh you're so smart like you just know things man you just you just know everything and then in the next episode they did a contest for like who would most be the most likely to become prime minister and grant got last place and he was so upset about it he was so upset about it. He was like, man, I'm a, I know I'm not a very smart guy, but I'm a, I'm a good leader. Like I'm, I'm just surprised. I just, it was so painful. And in the first like six episodes, he was t- totally gaslighting two of these girls, like to the point that that was painful for me to watch too. Oh yeah. Hard, but so entertaining because just what makes these people tick. I mean, this just, man. I'll never know what it's like to be that beautiful where like, just as long as you go to the gym, like the rest of what comes out of your mouth just does not matter. (laughs) I'll I'll never know what that's like. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a thing that, I mean, I don't know. We could talk about beauty. That could be a whole nother episode and how beauty standards and how people are treated differently based on. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I was just going to make a joke. Yeah, about that's a how, whole separate topic, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was going to make a joke about how I used to be stunning. Um, ha ha ha. <laughs> I don't think the listeners so, are going to know that joke, mom. I know. Um, I was going to tie it in, but then I, anyways, I ended up bringing it up. So at some point, someone in my life, a, a girl I hadn't seen in a long time said, oh, you used to be stunning, which was meant to be a compliment, but obviously... <laughs> did not come across as one I mean was it, it was meant nice. to be a compliment or was it meant to be kind of a back no she compliment? I think she really was trying to tell me you were so beautiful in high school or whatever and like mm-hmm. so yeah that's a compliment right it is a compliment but it also says that I'm not that stunning now you used to be <laughs> yeah um but I mean it in reference to that like I I would say I don't think stunning people know they're stunning. Like, let's just say if I were to have been stunning, maybe I wasn't, but, um, and I definitely maybe they don't think know all there the were time, cer- but people like the people who go on this show where their career is to look hot, they know right. they're stunning. I mean, that's what these people do for a living. They're influencers who make money right. based on the posts they post on Instagram and going on these silly reality shows. Well, I mean, the world has changed since, quote unquote, I used to be stunning, but um, <laughs> I, I, I do say that I, I, I like in retrospect, feel like there, if, if someone did view me as stunning or whatever, like, I do feel like there was definitely different treatment, you know? Oh, of course. Yeah. Beautiful people. Yeah. They, I can they even remember someone's, life. someone's well, beautiful mother. And white. I mean, come on. That's like, come on. Yeah. I can remember someone's mother saying to me like years after high school, maybe like three, four years after high school, like I saw her at a shower or a wedding or something saying, oh my gosh, I I thought you were going to be a model. What have you been doing? You know, like, what do you say to that? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a mom now. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know either. Right what I said was what was true is that I was meant to be a mom and that's what I'm doing. I think I said something about to that effect. Like this is what I meant to be doing. So, mm-hmm. Which is like a nice that. response. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The politic- politically correct one. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> and uh, some people who are a little messed up in the head, probably, uh, you know, if they felt differently than you would have might've said like, yeah, my kids ruined my chances at that. You know, people <laughs> definitely like, there are people that exist that feel that way about their kids and definitely would have responded in kind. So <laughs> True, true, true. Or like, I feel like that's a theme with dancers, at least in media. Like, 
I was a dancer, but then I had a kid, like got pregnant and had you. So now you need to be three times as successful as I was because I gave it up for you. You know, that sort of mentality. I mean, that's an interesting thing. And uh, I think what those shows are trying to convey is that women are told their lives are older when they become a mother. Like that, that all you have to live for at this point is your child. Like that's kind of a, or was a societal thing. Mm-hmm. And on I think it still, still is. is. A, yeah, it still yeah, is, but not to the same degree as like my generation. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, like, you know, you have a child and that's it. You've got to, even if you work, the main priority is that. And, you know, like, and we're seeing the effects of how that's real now with uh, COVID and all the women that left the workforce because they had to stay home and take care of their kids because they couldn't go to school. Like there, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many households had the discussion, like who's going to stay home, me or you, you know, or mm-hmm. how many op- people have op- other options. I don't know, but mm-hmm. so it obviously still exists to some degree or another. All right. Well, we were going to talk about murder among Mormons. Is that correct? What the title is? Murder among the Mormons, but yes, among the Mormons. We we're going to discuss that. A Netflix show that has caught the attention of Kate and I. Yes, um, for obvious I have, reasons, for anyone who has listened to the podcast before. Yes, and if you haven't, Kate and I are post-Mormon. Kate left the church, like, right about 18, yes? hmm yep. And for me, it has been, like, three years. I think it's been longer than that. No, I think it's only been three years. I mean, I think mm, it I took think a been year like for four. me. Me to extricate myself. So maybe four is official. It was, it was it was like 2016 that you stopped going or like started to talk about stopping going. So that would be about four years. Yeah, but I didn't actually. I wasn't able to actually. Finish. Yeah, we're in 2021 now. I know. I wasn't able to actually finish because I have it written down right here because only because my coach was just asking me and I know. Um dates based on we started coaching right after I had left the church and we Mm. started in like January of 2018 so that was like right when it finally happened I see I see Hmm. well but so it took me that long to like physically detangle yourself detangle myself I feel like that's a good way Um, to put it because you really do I mean it you're in it like you're it I feel like that's intentional that it's so difficult to leave. Yeah. I mean, and you, because the way the Mormon church or church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, operates that uh, the people of the church run the church, like you have, you have lots of responsibilities. I had a calling I had, um, and it was more complicated for me because I worked for the church. So I had to find another job. Um, So yeah, it was complicated and, there's that. But Murder Among the Mormons. Do you want to summarize the show, Kate? Yeah, it, it, it's a documentary style miniseries uh, that tells the story of this man who, this Mormon man who is very, made a living basically finding old like historical documents about the church and selling them either to the church or someone else. But it seems as though most of his documents about the church were purchased by the church. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It kind of glosses over that a little bit. So like you'd have to do some research on what actually he did, but yes, he rare documents. I think he, I think the church related documents, he probably did sell most of them to the church. And I think um, he did other documents that weren't necessarily church related to also. Yeah. The show talked about that too. Like the other stuff that he was involved in it was it was just his, historical artifacts just kind of in general mm-hmm. uh but he he was you know quote unquote made famous by the discovery of church documents that sort of challenged the origin of the church correct and yeah. the, the church's the church's statement on here's how the church was founded blah 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 he found documents that contradicted that and sold them to the church so the church could basically you know lock them away or whatever, but sold them for a very high price. And, um, you know, through the course of the mini series, it, you sort of find out, but 
I mean, th- there's a murder. Two two people in his circle are blown up with a pipe bomb, like that was delivered to them, hand delivered to them. And then like a day or two later, he gets blown up by a bomb that was in his car as well. And so the, I don't want to like spoil it for anyone who's interested in watching it. Or maybe we have to spoil it. I don't know. Oh, yeah, so but, if you uh, if you think you want to watch it first, I would say hit stop now, go watch the show. Otherwise, we're going to have spoilers from Yeah, it's out. only like three or four episodes. It's super quick. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think we're going to have to have to spoil it in order to actually talk about it. But okay, spoilers now at this point. We'll stop now. Um, so it turns out that he forged these documents and he is the one that blew up his friends uh, because he didn't want to be found out. So he, he, he's made famous by the discovery of this thing they called the salamander letter that basically said that Joseph Smith, instead of seeing an angel that led him to the Book of Mormon, the golden plates, he saw a white salamander that led him to the plates. And so the church wanted to bury that and they paid a lot of money for it, basically. And uh, then he was sort of like, you know, famous in these like historical document circles, essentially. Right. And so then he would keep miraculously discover discovering these documents blah 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 and it turns out he was just a really good forger he'd been forging his whole forging different things his whole life well and what and ended up catching up with them like, he was trying he had told people he found these letters that were like there were several of them and he had arranged to sell them a collection them, yeah. and he couldn't make them fast enough in the timeline he had given. I don't know why he didn't just do them first and then sell them, but whatever. That's what I don't understand either. Like he just, I mean, it seems like he had a lot of issues because he, he was in a lot of debt. Money was like moving around. Like he, he couldn't just be good and like, let that be it. Like he also had to just keep moving his mouth and like making promises that he couldn't catch. And right. And so and that's why he the, ended up planting the bombs, bombs because the people that were yeah. going to buy it, he just blew them up because he didn't have everything ready. Because they were saying, I need to have this by this date. And he was like, I don't. Yeah, I mean, they were basically like, we're going to ruin your life. And it was almost like he needed the money to finish them or something. I don't know. Details. But that really wasn't the main point of the takeaway from this documentary. Yeah, I mean, there was a... It's a very interesting story about this guy. The way that they tell the story in the show is really good, I feel like. Because yeah. I, I came into it not knowing anything. And I, I mean, I had no idea that it was going to end up being him. I was, I was pretty invested in it. I thought it was a very well done little documentary thing. But um, there's a lot of things that stood out to me as someone who was raised in the church. That maybe someone else who's just watching it for the story wouldn't think of as as interesting as I did maybe, or wouldn't have paid as much attention to it. Like it's fascinating that there is someone who was so good at forging documents that not even the FBI could trace it. Like could, could trace his, his forgeries, like every step of the way, his documents that he found went under so much scrutiny. And even when he was a kid, he was making fake coins and the U S department of treasury, you know, like approved them as, as real. Like it's, it, it's, you know, he, he's obviously a, a very, I don't want to say like a smart man, but I mean, smart. No, I think, I think smart. I think he qualifies as smart for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he created these methods to do these things. It's, that's wild to me. So, I mean, it, there's, there's something there, you know, there's a story there, whether you're interested in the church or not, but, um, there was a lot well, let's that, talk about I, that, for a minute that I learned. I've listened to a couple of podcasts and stuff in relation to this as well. And as a matter of fact, there's a one gentleman in the documentary that has kind of like a high pitched voice, um, mm-hmm. an older man that was friends with him mm-hmm. and traveled with him and helped him acquire, purchase some other documents. Um, just FYI, the gentleman has cancer and that's why he talks like that. But he, I've listened to a couple of things with him and someone asked him, like, did, didn't you ever suspect him? And his response was, it never crossed my mind because every time he found a document, they would submit it for testing and authenticity to experts and it always came back as authentic. So why would I even think that he was forging Mm -hmm. them? Like it never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. So that I found that kind of interesting too, because 
yeah, like in hindsight, people like he knew he was forging them and he was really interrogated pretty heavily as having part in the killings and and the forgeries. And Mm -hmm. he, you know, he didn't. So, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, at one point he, uh, he definitely was dipping his hands in things outside of the church too, because at one point he said that he found the, um, the first printed document in the United States, right? Like right after, I don't know what it was called, Ode to Man or something. I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm clearly he, history. He was just pretty prolific. That's why it's surprising that he couldn't finish the one document that he had promised. Like, I don't really know the story behind that part of it. Like how did it all catch up with him and just end up falling apart? Yeah, I don't know either. But, but what we wanted to talk about more was like the Mormon side of it, I think. Yes. Yeah. Just as, you know, since it's something we talk about pretty regularly, the church and stuff. But, I mean, I learned things about the church that I didn't know before, for sure. Like? Uh, I mean, I, well, I mean, I always knew that Utah was sort of a different breed. Like, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you, you spend time in Utah and it's just different. Like, the culture of the state is different. Um, the culture of the church is different because it's just the, the culture of the church is pop culture in Utah. Like that's like, instead of, you know, like a traditional high school experience where peer pressure is to like be bad and drink alcohol and go to parties and lie to your parents. Utah is like the peer pressure is like to join the church. Like people are, people join the church out of peer pressure because that's what, where all the social circles are, especially as a teenager, all, if Mm -hmm. all of your friends are hanging out at these church functions three times a week, as you do when you are a youth in the church and you're not at those functions. I mean, there goes your social life, you know? Well, well, I would say counter that even there are lots of schools where based because the, the population, like the whole school is LDS. Like there, I, I think there are in some of the bigger cities like Salt Lake and stuff, but when you get into some of those smaller cities, there are still areas where it's like the whole population is LDS. Maybe. I know someone I mean, yeah, was telling me that, that there's a school um, where the kids go and the mom has to be divorced and she's the only single mom in the whole school. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it really is like another world clearly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, obviously I knew that. Um, and this was sort of the environment that he was raised in. Like he was raised Mormon in Utah. So like, you know, Served it, mission. It sort of, it, yeah, the whole thing. And it, it sort of talked about um, how he found a lot of joy in traveling to find these documents and like going to bars and drinking and like having a wild life when he was traveling, but then coming back home and putting on the facade of like the good Mormon guy, which I'm sure happens to a lot of people who don't end up being murderers. So that's comforting. But, um, like I, obviously that wasn't a surprise to me. Like I I could sort of relate to that. I've seen that, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that the church purchases historical. I mean, it was just hearing them talk about how the church is so obsessed with history and genealogy and stuff, which is always something that I knew as someone who's raised in the church, you know, we did family history and we did all those things, but it goes even like beyond just family history. It, it's also to the point of an obsession with documents and the church has purchased all these things that they keep hidden away. I mean, that was, I didn't know any of that. It was so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, well, and the interesting thing about it is the way it was going is the church wasn't actually purchasing them, right? Like the salamander letter, a guy purchased it and donated it to the church. So like, Mm, yeah, I believe that was like arranged though. Like that was always kind of so that they can't say. Yeah. I mean, that was the same guy who was going to go purchase it, go purchase the McClellan collection, according to the show. Mm. I don't know. I thought one of the guys that died was the one that was going to purchase the McClellan collection. I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. Yeah. The guy that died was the guy that bought the salamander letter. And then donated it oh, to the church. Okay. I'm pretty sure. So they just say, oh, well, because they had video clips of but one he, guy. So I don't know. Yeah, he had, it was, yeah, it was from an old interview. He oh, had okay. worked with the church. Like, basically, he worked with the church for, for stuff like that, is, is what they implied. Mm. I mean, just, it all just feels so sneaky, so dishonest. <laughs> from a church that, you know, 
prides itself on its honesty. Well, they do pride themselves on their on the honesty, but there are a lot of things that they are not straightforward and forthcoming about. Um, and it goes to a basic is like how much our general authority is paid to what kind of wealth the church has, you know, those kind of things are generally kept under wraps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't believe a church should be wealthy though. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is the crux of why we just decided to talk to this because this brought up a whole conversation about between you and I about the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and if it's a high control group, a cult, and that makes you very uncomfortable. And yeah, I just feel like that's such a heavy word to throw around. I don't. I mean, maybe there's, there's something that pops in your head when you think of a cult, right? You think of like weird sex stuff and people being so brainwashed that they have to leave their families and they can't function. There's a degree of that in the Mormon church for sure. I mean, not really the sex stuff, but I mean like the, the control and everything, a degree of brainwashing. Sure. But you can also find degrees of that in every religion. So I just don't, feel comfortable loosening my definition of cult to include the Mormon church because then it leaves you open to include every religion. And this is something that Sean and I have actually talked about. Sean strongly advocates every organized religion is a cult, but I'm just not there. Okay. Well, let's go through this. So there is a article that I found on secular liturgies. I have to say it fast. Um, and it says 25 signs you're in a high control group or cult. It's quite long, but let's just hit the, the, the topics. There is opposition to critical thought. Now I would say that I'm going to counter these with some Mormon I- ideologies that I'm aware of. One of the things is they don't counter critical thought. They say, pray about it and work it out. Like you pray about it kind of kind of thing so it does appear that they're open to critical thought but I also believe that it's under the context or guise of you need to agree with the church like that you know like what are your thoughts on that yeah I mean I think if you don't agree with the church like let's say you're in that situation where you're not sure about something and you pray about it and you're not getting an answer. And so you talk to someone about it, right? Cause that's what we're supposed to do. You talk to mm-hmm. your Bishop, you talk to your visiting teacher, you talk to whoever they're going to continue to pester you about it until you either stop going to church completely and just cut everybody out of your life, which is not as easy as it sounds or come around to that line of thinking. Right. So, well, yeah, I, mean, I, would, I wouldn't say that they're against critical thought, but there definitely is the peer pressure to eventually have your critical thought fall in line with the church. So here's what I would say is much. there's, there's not really a, a thing of a forum to discuss anything that you disagree on or that you have concerns with about the church. Now, one would say that you can speak to your bishop or you can speak to church leaders. Um, That doesn't usually go very well. Like sometimes (laughs) if you get the bishop lottery, you might have someone that you could talk to and they'll work through those with you and pray with you or whatever. Oftentimes the response is you aren't spiritual enough and reading your scriptures enough if you disagree with leadership. Um, And... They definitely would discourage you from bringing those up in, in a class or in a group setting. You would you would be called out on that. They don't want that. Any mm-hmm. contradictory ideas or questions brought up in the group setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the church themselves, have set up organizations, which one would call apologetic organizations, to combat any of these types of concerns, complaints issues that one might have with the church, especially when it comes to church history. There are actual very big organizations that change theory and, and and explain why the church does or thinks or believes a certain thing. So, Mm -hmm. um, 
I would say that this kind of leads to the whole thing that you and I were talking about the other day. Like, I believe the Mormon church is a kinder, gentler kind of cult or high control group because like, and obviously none of them are going to outright say, yeah, use critical thought, but they, they try and do it in a very nice, especially when you look at like the apologetic kind of things, it's all very like, they will take out of context quotes from a prophet and say, here's the proof that this is what they really meant a hundred years ago. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's all very well thought out, but it's also um, very problematic. I mean, I, I like high control group. That's one thing. Like I could, I could agree with that probably a little bit more than cult. I just feel like cult should be reserved for a very extreme circumstance. Yeah. Um, I think they're one and the same, but that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, how about, uh, self doubt is encouraged. What do you think about that idea? Oh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) that one's a, that one's a hard one because there's so much of like, you are a child of God and like, God loves you just the way you are and you're perfect and blah, blah, blah. But then there's also like that side of it. That's like, but are you doing all the things you should be doing though? Like, are you enough? Are you, are you devoting every second of your time to these things? Did you take time to yourself today? Because if you did, that's probably a little selfish. Well, let's just even, okay, let's just take it from the aspect of having a doubt in the church, right? You have a doubt and often you get told things like, that's the world seeping in. Um, Your priesthood leader knows better than you do. Um... you definitely struggle with figuring out, is this coming from inside of me and something is wrong with me versus um, realities of a church being fallible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, like that, that might be something that's more played into adult membership versus like you left when you're 18, like you may not have seen the kind of glimpses of that. that... Yeah. I mean, that was the next thing I was going to say. Like, you know, I, I don't think I was ever told anything as blunt as your priesthood leader knows better than you. Cause I was a teenager. Right. I was told some pretty things when I was trying to confess my sins. But it's often (laughs) insinuated that, you know, that they understand what's best for the community, what's best for the membership, what's best for, the group, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I, and I think, I mean, I think there are religions, and I don't know because I haven't belonged to many. So, you know, hey, but my belief would be that there are some religions that allow you to discuss your concerns or your questions or your faith, uh, your faith issues that you're having, and like help you work them out like in a logical sense or in a way that doesn't make you doubt yourself, like understanding that it's normal to question certain things mm-hmm. not pray more, read your scriptures more, but also like, well, you know, have you thought that maybe God works this way and not that way? Like those kind of things, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, like, yeah, like just a normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next one is magical thinking is prevalent. Um, you know, I mean, I, mean, I think that I won't, I don't really know about all that. Yeah. I mean, it, the way that they're defining magical uh, things is, you know, devil spirits, demons, supernatural forces. I mean, again, every religion, every religion, literally all of them. Um, so what it explains is that a safe group applies reason and evidence. Uh, encourages members to do the same. Uh, it respects a range of spiritual, phys- psychological experiences. Um, and leaders do not expect others to share in their own or particular experiences. So this is kind of an interesting thing. 
leaders claim to have special insight and supreme knowledge. And we're not even going to go into this one in detail because we know that we have prophets in the Mormon church that are all seeing and all knowing. Yes. And yes. they, uh, so, and I, I wouldn't know say, those documents were fake though. <laughs> I would say that this article does separate high control groups versus full blown, blown cults. Um, as for instance, in this group, they say both cults, uh, they have a charismatic leader. Huh. And um, the leader is unusually certain and dogmatic. And whereas in a cult, there's one leader who claims supreme knowledge rather than a group of leaders. So, uh, hmm. and, and it goes on, but it's kind of interesting that it breaks those down. So you'll be happy to know that. Well, uh, howdy, hey. The leadership is authoritarian, charismatic, and narcissistic. And I'm going to say, having worked for the church, that we definitely fall into those categories. <laughs> sure, I could agree with that. No, really the leadership to is dive into all that. male and very get very offended if you don't believe them or you disagree with them. They do not like that mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. As a matter mm -hmm. of fact, even working for the church where tithing money paid for my my computer, my, my salary, everything. If you, if you had an issue, uh, you were told not to complain, which was hilarious. Like it was just always like, cause it was always like this computer program doesn't work the way it's supposed to. There's a problem. And it's like, well, should you be complaining about it? But like, tithing, you know, like you're telling me on one hand how lucky I am and that tithing money is paying for all of this and, you know, by the faith in God, members have paid this money and are taking care of this program. But then at the same time, it's acceptable to have software that doesn't work that they paid for. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it was always just kind of a weird, like, you can't say that there's a problem with it because then that's deemed as complaining. Mm. And mind you, I would tell you that the people that are telling you you're complaining are men and the women, it was only women really that had the job that I had. It was, they were all the secretaries. Anyways, yeah, naturally, yeah, very patriarchal. That goes without saying. Come on, yeah. Um, there are draconian and intrusive rules for members. What do you think about that one? I mean, draconian seems a little harsh, but like, um, most of the I mean, rules are what every religion pretty much says, anyways. Are you, with are a you few sure extremes? You, did you think about garments? With a few extremes. Garments. I don't know anything about garments. Okay. I wasn't I wasn't a part of that. I mean I wasn't an adult that, in the church, remember? <laughs> I do remember. I'm gonna say so let's let's see. Smoking, drinking, coffee, tea. Coffee and tea is the extreme, but technically all religions say don't smoke, don't drink. Don't have sex outside of marriage. All draconian. But yeah, I mean, like it can have this and not necessarily be in those. Um, I think what this is saying is that in a safe group, decisions about, I'm reading, uh, decisions about the extent to which you want to participate and about your personal affairs are left up to you as an individual. So it might be presented as like you you know, like this is the, this is a great lifestyle to have, you know, you might be closer to God if you live this lifestyle, but it's not like, mm -hmm. this is the rule to obtain eternal salvation and be with your family for other, otherwise you're letting everyone down. I just think it's worth pointing out that the, uh, music group in pitch perfect technically, uh, so far qualifies as a, high control group. <laughs> it's true. Like you could, they were trying to control who you could sleep with. Mm -hmm. How you dressed, the songs you sang. I mean, I know we're only five things in or whatever, but technically <laughs> uh, it fits. Are we? Does it say that there's 25 though? Are we about to read all 25? Yeah. We're. I'm just skimming through. Leaders are above the law. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Uh, yeah. The flow of information is subject to censorship and control. Like we know that's true. I mean, the show really made that very clear. Well, I think that's typical of a lot of religions. Obviously, Catholicism has also done the same thing. Very true. The group as a whole is elitist. Sorry, I don't know where elitist. Elitist <laughs> and the with an elite inner circle at its core. Hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So 
This next one, definitely the Mormon church doesn't follow against us as threats are made against members who leave. Now, members who openly uh, disagree with church leadership on social media will be excommunicated, but like threats, not necessarily. Yeah. Once you're you. excommunicated, it's just, you're but done. I mean, I guess technically this is saying you will be punished for all eternity. If you leave, that is kind of what happened. I mean, that's true, but no one's like writing you letters every month to make you feel about like, think about that though. It's not like if you don't believe it, then who cares? I mean, I think it depends on the situation. Like yes. if, as a matter of fact, I just listened to, I don't know if I talked to you about this, but I just listened to this podcast where there's a guy who used to be uh, LDS and he is an attorney and he started a thing where people could, because in order to become not a member of the Mormon church where they uh, have your names on the quote unquote records of the church, uh, you have to turn in a form and sign mm-hmm. it and turn it into your, your leadership. Right. And basically it's really difficult <laughs> to actually get your name removed from the record so that you don't have people coming to your door and visiting you and trying to get you to come to church again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but so by the he, way, not an experience I've ever had just for the record. I know I've right. moved around a lot. Maybe that's why. Then I haven't given them, I haven't given them your address. I mean, like some people, like if, if you, you have, have aunt, they asked for it? Um, I think at one point they may have called and said, we're trying to find so-and-so this is the last number we have or something. I mean, my phone number hasn't changed, so they could very easily call me, but like there was maybe a year after I stopped going because I stopped going in ambiguous circumstances. I just stopped showing up. I didn't like say anything to anybody or anything right? or they were trying to get a hold of me. But after that, it was like nothing ever happened. Yeah. But like you like say as a relative, like say you had grandparents that were super active and they gave them your address, then you'd be getting it. Mm. I see. I see. Okay. Um, anyway, so he set up a website where you could just go and fill out a form and he would submit it as your attorney to the church and they would remove your name for the records of the church. Yeah, that's and nice. he was, <laughs> it is nice. But then he was talking about how the church keeps making it more and more difficult. So he would do that, submit the form, get the letter back. People were happy. Right. And then they mm-hmm. started saying, well, now you have to have it notarized. So he would be like, okay, fine. These, you know, people really want to leave the church. They'll go get notarized. So then people were still doing that. And then they made him only deal with the church's attorneys. And the church's attorneys would no longer tell him when a person's name had been removed from the records. Like it's just become this big drama. And like, it just is ridiculous that it's that hard to get your name off the records of the church. Yeah. That just seems so weird. Like why? It's very weird. Um, Outsiders and outsider groups are slandered or vilified. I think in some instances this is true. If you're a high profile person speaking out against the church and things that are wrong, they do do that. But like me, normal, everyday person, they're not. Yeah. Members become increasingly isolated from former companions. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily an outward thing of the church. That's one nice thing that Mormons do. They don't tell you to not be around your family. If they're not members, they don't tell you but they do want you to convert them them all (laughs) converted. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so funny. How are you going to convert people? If you're isolated from everybody, of course they encourage you to do that. Right. 10%. (laughs) (laughs) That was a reference to the tithing. Uh, Group identity takes precedence over individual identity. I mean, I think that can be seen said of any group in general. The group performs secret rites and rituals. We won't even go into that, but there is a temple and things happen. Nothing like killing animals or anything, but you know, you make promises and you say certain things. And I would say, it's I mean, am I, am I not supposed right. to talk about our experiences in the temple? Cause like I tell everybody what the sealing ceremony was like, is it supposed I to be a secret? Say, huh? I would say the sealing ceremony probably doesn't have to be. In the temple endowment ceremony, I think you're pretty much told it. You will rot in hell if you talk about it. Basically. <laughs> well, now I'm gonna Google what happens in the endowment ceremony. Shit. There's a video. Somewhere. I almost, I almost thought about faking it out through the torch church a little while longer just so I could get to my see. patriarchal blessing and my endowments, just so I could know because it was driving me crazy that I didn't know. And the I mean, patriarchal still blessings time. are we pretty do it. cool. You- 
like the idea of them is pretty cool. Like to think you get a divine message from God that's personal for your life and can help you make, you can refer to this when you may have to make a tough decision and you'll see some line in there that you didn't really pay attention to before that suddenly jumps out at you. And it's the answer to like the idea of that. Yes, obviously everyone wants that. Right. I agree. It was almost enough motivation for me to just pretend. But I just got to the point where I was trying to stop lying and I didn't want to pretend anymore. I didn't want to <laughs> lie about what I was doing in my personal time, um, which was boys. I was doing boys. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be. Right. Uh, so when I first went to the temple, I'm going to talk about this in vague terms. Isn't it weird? Like I have anxiety right now talking about the temple ceremony, even though I haven't been going to church for three to four years. Like it's crazy that I have. It's like, deep. They get deep. Yeah, it's true. It's deep. Um, cool. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but when I first went, I was shocked because everything about the church is that you, it's not, it's not a ritual. Like you, you speak from the heart when you say your prayers, like there's nothing that's wrote and then except mm-hmm. for the sacrament prayer. Um, and then like certain things they say before you baptize, like certain uh, rituals, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, ordinances, a few have, things. Yeah. A few things. Uh, the temple temple, however, is completely like a memorization repeat after me. You go here and you say this and you go here and you do this and then you do this. And then it, it's, it's so different from everything mm-hmm. else that it was a little jarring. Yeah. I mean, I guess I never really thought about that before and I've only participated in a few temple ceremony things, but yeah, that's a, that's a very, that's a very good point. Yeah. It, it is. The church is a little different in that regard that like everything is, you're just talking uh, like the, <laughs> our prayers and stuff. It, there's, there's no right. pray. There's no prayer for this situation. Like it's blessings, all of that. But yeah, the temple is very different different from that. I, I never really thought about it. That's that's a very interesting point, Mom. Yeah. Well, and it's very jarring when you go to the endowment ceremony, I think. But I mm-hmm. will say, like, you you go through this experience and then you end up in a room that's called uh, the celestial room and everything in there is white and there's always a chandelier and it's just beautiful. Nobody's talking. So, like, providing a place where you can meditate or commiserate with your spiritual God. Um, it's fantastic like that. And I think that's where people always have these like ultra experience, spiritual experiences in the temple, but the ritualized mm-hmm. part of it, um, is very off putting in my personal opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think neither you nor I is really uh, like believing that the church is true and you know, we're, we're moving away from that as people and blah, blah, blah. But it is interesting that we can go into the temple, not now, obviously, but like we could go into the temple and have these profound experiences, these spiritual experiences. I mean, why is that? Like if if the church isn't true, like, do you think that places where people are opened up to having spiritual experiences, they're going to? Because I'm sure that that's not just true for the Mormon church. I mean, I'm sure you could walk into the Sistine Chapel and have a profoundly spiritual experience or whatever it might be, you know, just because of that place, because of where that is. Do you think that that's what it is when you invite that spiritual energy in, you're going to receive it? I don't know. Like what? Yeah, and I what think there's that? something like the temple is a totally disconnected place from the outside world, right? We don't have very many places. I mean, I think people who meditate and people who have those kind of like you, we don't have very many places where we disconnect and engage in the spiritual side of the world or ourselves mm-hmm. or, you know, the space that we're in or whatever you want to call it. Like we, we just don't allow ourselves that. So I think, Mm -hmm. but I think the Mormon church is very, very good at allowing opportunities, as many opportunities as, as possible for manufactured spiritual experience. And I'm not saying that you don't feel a spiritual experience, but like, Mm. um, girls camp, the Trek, like those are all very good examples, Mm -hmm. um, where they are designed to give you that feeling purposefully. Mm-hmm. And so for listeners who aren't more, we should explain that. So that every year they have a thing called girls camp where it's all girls, uh, some, some 
spiritual leaders come, male spiritual leaders come because that's all there is in the church. Um, but it's, uh, and it's, it's a bunch of spiritual experiences that are just for young women. And, and it's in nature. I mean, like and it's doing in stuff in nature all together. I mean, great memories for me, for sure. Right. Testimonies. And like, so there's a the very big spiritual component. So everybody feels drawn in. There's a lot of tears and a lot of, I'm going to change my life because this was so spiritual. Um, and then there's also the, um, what was the other thing I named? <laughs> We we did the trek. I mean, we did the trek. Oh, twice. the trek. I don't think that's that's as right. Common, saying, but but it can be very like, spiritual. And the trek is a pioneer, a simulation with hand carts. So you dress like pioneers. You hike. You push a hand cart, and these are designed to remember what the pioneers experienced and to be grateful for your life, but also a whole lot of opportunities to read scriptures, pray, pray, draw near testimonies, to yeah. your Lord. I mean, EFY too. Yeah. Like the, they're very, like girls camp, but on crack. <laughs> yeah. So it's just very good at that. Um, Especially since all so these yeah. things take you outside. I mean, I feel like probably the most spiritual experiences I've ever had actually weren't in the temple. They were outside at EFY or at girls camp, right. but the temple's a close second. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess, to receive any sort of spiritual feelings and openness and whatever, you do have to be open to it. Like you, you can't be closed off from that mentally and emotionally. So it makes sense that you would have experiences in those places because you're open to it. You go there expecting it. I don't know. Is what I'm saying making sense? Um, sort of. I think too, like just in general, when we commune with nature, you're always going to feel a sense of a higher being. Like you just take a trip to mm-hmm. the Grand Canyon. You don't have to be a spiritual person, but then it can make you rethink your ideas about God. And yeah, I mean, I'm reading through this, just scanning it. And I'm going to say high control group. Hmm. Oh, definitely high control group. You know, it's funny because it's been like four years and I'm still not 100% to terms with how I feel about the church. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been 10 years for me and I'm still not there either. So I get it. Well, like you mentioned like us saying, okay, we're going to say it's not true. Like I think for the first portion of me leaving the church and you obviously for so much longer, uh, I felt like I wasn't in a line. It wasn't taking me where I wanted to go, but I still believe that the church was true. And now I'm Uh questioning that Uh and looking at it in in a different way. Uh-huh. Um, especially as I come to recognize this whole high control group um, uh-huh. slash cult or whatever. Uh, uh-huh. It really has me evaluating that whole thing. It's different. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an emotional journey to, to go through that though. Like it sounds silly to someone who maybe has never been very religious, but like to come to terms with this huge part of your life, that helped make you who you are. I mean, so many things about myself, my ability to speak publicly and my leadership skills and all those things were cultivated and developed through church activities. So to reject the church as an entity is, feels like I'm saying it's all bad and no good can come of it. Like, but I don't feel like that's true because if that's true, then there are so many things about me that are bad. It's definitely not true. I think it's a part of who you are and it's important and it's valuable, but it's also good to take a step back and recognize it per what it is or how you view it now. And that's like, they don't have to negate each other, but that's hard. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a hard journey to go down. I mean, I definitely, I'm still on that journey. I'm, I, I'm super complicated. I haven't quite come to terms with everything myself. So that's a challenge. Yeah, and one. I think it's hard when it shows up to me in different ways. Um, I've a, I am still, and even working with my coach, um, I still have a hard time separating like this weight of what I should do or what I should be. And a lot of that not doesn't just come from society. A lot of what I think I should be is church related, societal related, like, and, and you know, just culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really been, that's one of the things I'm really working on because it, it messes me up. 
in so many mm-hmm. different ways because I don't yeah. necessarily do what I want to do or what I, I don't put my, my focus isn't like what I want to do or yeah where I want to go. It's what I feel like I should yeah. be doing. So I get it. <sighs> yeah. It's weird well, how it can still be so draining and almost even traumatizing to talk about it. It's crazy. I know. But there's a lot of support out there for post-Mormons or people with faith crisis of any religion right now. So that's pretty awesome, I think. That yeah. is one good uh, takeaway from social media as well. All right. Well, uh, have a good one and we will catch up soon. Yeah. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. If you like Grown Up and Grounded, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're using. This will help other people find our podcast. As always, we want to give a big shout out to Dave Depper, who provides the music we use in our episodes. The song you're listening to is titled Can Can 2, and we got it from the Free Music Archive. You can check out Dave at davedepper.com. That's so expensive. I'm so fancy. I have AirPods. Oh my god! <laughs> I put my AirPods on and I get on a Peloton and I have Fuji water. No, I'm just oh my god! I hope you were recording that. Thanks for listening to Grown Up and Grounded. I'm Trish, the mom and of this duo. Oh. And who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should redo that. <laughs>